and welcome to Getting to Good Enough, a podcast to help you let go of perfectionism so you can do more of what you love. I'm Shannon Wilkinson, a life coach in Portland, Oregon. I'm a recovering perfectionist who's getting better at good enough. And I'm Janine Adams, a certified professional organizer in St. Louis, Missouri, and I'm lucky enough to be naturally good at good enough. And today we're talking about ambivalence. It can be sneaky. I, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but I am glad it's December. I, I, I hate winter, <laughs> but I'm so glad that November is over and my novel is written and I can move on with my life. <laughs> oh, I feel you on that one. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm very glad to have written my fourth 30-day novel, but uh, but getting up early was killing me. Yeah, because you got up early every day to get your words in, right? Right, yeah, I had to. And uh, and and also my novel was really boring. Oh, no. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine, mine was, um, well, I'll never go back and read it, so it doesn't matter, but mine was pretty choppy. That whole forgetting what I wrote the day before thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that really didn't work in my favor, um, oh. but it's done, and yeah. I and I got it done early, which Yay. I was very happy about. That's right. You finished so. on the twenty eighth, twenty ninth. Yeah, something like that. I think. Yeah, that's great, and it just feels. Um, it felt great to embrace that imperfection and just go for it and not worry about anything but getting the words in. Yeah, it was it was such a good exercise in embracing imperfect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I was I was happy we did it. I'm glad it's done, and now I feel like I have an extra hour every day. Well, that's right. I mean, honestly, that that was one of my big takeaways. Is look, if I could find time to do that, and I had a super busy client schedule, and, and so I was really wedging it in. If I can find time to do that, I can find time to do something else. And That's right. This month, I think um, my goal is yoga every day. Which oh, is a, that's nice. Yeah, a nice, relatively stress-free way to do it. It doesn't take an hour. I'm, not when I do it. And so right. I did. Well, I did, it doesn't have to, definitely. Right. I, pro- I wrote, it took me about an hour, 45 to 60 minutes a day to write the novel. So yeah. this month, I'm going to turn my attention to yoga with, the, with that time, I think. Which well, that'd be I'm nice. Are you, do you think you'll get up in the mornings and do it, or do you, I think you've been doing it in the afternoons or evenings? Yeah, and I did it before. in the morning. Right, I did it um, November thirtieth and December first in the morning. Today is December second, and I wanted to do it today, but I kind of forgot. So I'll do it after we finish podcasting. Um, but I really like doing oh, it in okay. the morning. So maybe maybe I will. Do it you? Was nice. It was nice to have it done. That part I like. Yeah. Plus, it feels good. So, anyway, I just love yoga. Yeah, it's kind of a Adrian, nice way to start so. day. Yeah, she's just a little bright light in my life. So it's nice to spend she time with is. her. She is. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
Well, anyway, that uh, I'm glad. Yeah, I would not want to write a novel in 60 days. 30 days is plenty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, wait, is it the same length novel or double the length? Uh, I don't know. It's whatever rules you want. But even if it were the same length, that would just be excruciating. Well, but it would only be a half hour a day. It'd be like 20 to 30 minutes a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're probably right. 60 days of that. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, too much of my novel was not good. I wouldn't want to spend that much time with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so did you, um, did you have any ambivalence about your novel? Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking, why am I doing this? Damn, that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But every, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast today with um, uh, Armchair Expert with Judd Apatow. Oh, uh uh-huh. Is that how you pronounce it? Apatow? Yeah, I think so. Apatow. And um, uh, and he was, they were talking about writing and they were saying that he's like, you just have to write. And he said, you just sit there and you write and you even just are writing. Like, I'm just sitting here writing and I don't have anything to write about. And then that reminds me of, you know, whatever. And you just keep typing and typing. And, and then all of a sudden it reminds you of the cat you had when you were a kid. And then that reminds you of a story. And then all of a sudden you have the joke that you needed. <laughs> and wow. and uh, that's basically my novel. stream of consciousness and then i finally get to like the actual scene that i wanted to write about i see okay well it's you followed judd apatow's advice and he's very successful so there you go i know yeah i mean yeah Uh but yeah there was a certain amount of ambivalence both about the novel about the process um but because of the time frame and the conditions for what we were doing, I just made the decision to go with it. Mm-hmm. You couldn't let the ambivalence um, slow you down. Or I, I think right. I, I didn't feel ambivalent about the, the t- challenge, but perhaps I, I was a little ambivalent over whether it was a worthwhile effort in terms of the quality of the work. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, of course, like we talked about before, knowing that no one's ever going to read it meant that that had no consequence. So it didn't, it was okay. But if I had been working, if I'd been contracted to write that novel, there would have been some ambivalence about whether I should start over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, and, you know, and it's funny because sometimes you don't really recognize ambivalence until after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you know you don't feel, maybe you, um, sometimes I don't feel strongly about what, something or clear about something, right. but I don't think of it in terms of wishy-washy or uh, being afraid to make a decision or... Um, do we think we need to... I, define ambivalence by the way is there any chance people don't know what it means i suppose it's possible 
Um, that makes me want to look it up with the real definition. I know. I was going to say, do you have a good definition at hand? <laughs> um, I, I can. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Because we um, love the internet. We sure do. Uh, definition of ambivalence, according to Merriam-Webster, is simultaneous and contradictory attitudes or feelings such as attraction and repulsion toward an object, person, or action, continual fluctuation as between one thing and its opposite, uncertainty as to which approach to follow. So I was so, sort of thinking about that last uh, definition, uncertainty as to which approach to follow. That's how I was thinking of it in terms of our episode today. But, right. Um, but it's interesting to think about it contradictory simultaneous attitudes too <laughs> yeah well and I, I think about it that a lot um, where I'll, there's something that I will want to do but also I'm like holding back on doing it um, mm -hmm. like well for example the you know I've talked about walking the Camino mm -hmm. um, the Camino de Santiago and um, I've been thinking about walking it and talking about wanting to walk it for years, um, but I never really did anything about it. Like I really wanted to do it, um, but I wasn't doing it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really realize um, until things shifted for me the amount of ambivalence I had about it. And it turned out that I got clarity when a friend told me about the, there's several different routes and I only knew about the routes that went through Spain, but there's also a route that heads north through Portugal. And when he told me about the Portuguese Camino, it was just like, bam, that's the one I want to do. And then my ambivalence was gone and I started doing everything I needed to do to put that in place to make it happen. Wow. That's that's great that you got that clarity, um, but yeah, you d and you didn't even realize that you were feeling ambivalent. I think that that's something really good to be aware of. If you're not doing something, it's worth exploring what your ambivalence is. Mm -hmm. And how how do you uh, explore? I know for me, I would like write in a journal. Or I would mind that. Yeah. Those would be the two ways. I have to put a pen to paper to try to figure out stuff like that when I feel conflicted. Yep, I, I do the same things. I would um, uh, start free writing or start asking myself questions um, and see what I can come up with. Um, although what's interesting is that, I mean, it's, and that can help you find that ambivalence mm -hmm. um, it can help you discover like both ambivalence in terms of you know what that the latter part of that definition that the sort of the uncertainty about how to proceed but also um, conflicting what was it conflicting emotions conflicting uh, attitudes or feelings attitudes yeah um, because I you know I noticed that a lot with clients and um, like there'll be 
oh, this has sort of popped into my head, but um, this is sort of a, a weird example, but smoking just came to mind. And um, there's ambivalence about stopping smoking because like on the one hand, you know it's bad for you. On the other hand, you enjoy it. And it makes you feel less stressed out, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so um, anything, if if you describe something as on one hand, it's this, but on the other hand, it's that, that's your ambivalence right there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, I could say that about wine, I think. I enjoy drinking wine, but I know there would be health benefits to perhaps not drinking wine or drinking less. I don't drink that much, but I probably have a glass a day. I could cut back. Yeah. Well, sometimes I have two glasses. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely ambivalent about it. Yeah, right. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, f- and finding those, that ambivalence. So th- this is sort of an interesting way. The One of the ways that you can clear up that ambivalence is to um, sort of dig into the positive intention or the um, sort of the purpose of why you're doing each side. So if you look at, you know, drinking wine, um, like you want to keep drinking it, uh, you know, we can do this or I could just make it up. <laughs> Go ahead and make it up. I want to hear what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like, I want to keep drinking wine because I enjoy it. And so what does that get you? Well, I enjoy things that feels good. And, you know, when I feel good, then I, you know, everything is better. And then it's like, well, I want to quit drinking wine um, because when, you know, I think it might be impacting my health. And, well, why is that important? Well, because if I don't feel good, I don't feel good. And so why is that important? Well, I want to feel good. And, and when I feel good, everything's better. And so you see that actually the positive intention on both sides is the same thing. Right. And so sometimes just doing that can bring the ambivalence, can sort of dissolve the ambivalence because you know that what you're trying to do is to feel better, to, you know, to make your life better. And you can choose in that moment, it, will my life be better if I have a glass of wine or if I don't have a glass of wine? Like it gives you more choice. Uh-huh. As opposed to feeling like you're losing something, you're deciding how to gain something. Right. Oh, yeah, I like that. And, and it, it, this is reminding me of your boring change technique uh, yeah. and audio that you have where you identify the positive intention behind your feelings, what, even if they're negative feelings, right? Right. And helps you get through them. That's, well, I'm going to put a link to that in our show notes because I think that tool is, an, is very helpful. It helps oh, me. Oh, good. When I'm in yeah, it's, a, it's, yeah, it's something I use all the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've gotten really great feedback from people who've used it and have made a lot of changes. And um, it can help you discover ambivalence. If there's something that you're just, that you feel you're like want to be doing, but you're not doing, 
um, it can help. Right, and getting to and the, the question that that you ask yourself when you're sort of digging in to these questions to help identify the ambivalence or the positive intention behind is it? Um, I, what's the what's the start off question? I feel like we talked about this in a different um, episode. So, uh, <laughs> we may have. I yeah, can't doesn't remember. Matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's the um, you want to know what how what question it is to discover what that positive yeah. intention is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one question you can ask is like, why is this important to me? Just mm-hmm. to get started, and then um, if I have that, what will that get me? So you're sort of you're chunking up to the sort of the higher intention and it and it you will usually end up being something pretty big and abstract interesting if you sort of go up enough steps Mm -hmm. so when we were talking before the uh, we started recording about we were talking about ambivalence and I said that I hadn't thought of it as ambivalence but I've been not taking action now for a couple of years of um, working on writing some new genealogy guides um, and that our conversation made me realize gosh I probably am feeling ambivalent about doing it and I'm not sure why um, and so I might uh, something I might do for myself if I during my you know annual retreat which I'll be doing soon uh, this month to plan for next year would be to identify what I'm feeling ambivalent about what's the what the positive intentions behind that might be and help resolve sort of dissolve the ambivalence so I can take action one way or another is that that sort of yeah that sounds great okay I think I'll have to do that yeah I think that'd be super useful it's a great exercise just to dig at um you know what's what's under the surface of because, you know, you've been feeling bad about not doing those for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been, time just zips by and it just keeps not happening. Right. <laughs> and so it would be nice to either decide that you're going to do them because it's important to you for whatever reason and you, and you understand that reason, or that you're not going to do them, whether it's you're not going to do them ever or you're not going to do them for now. Mm-hmm. But to give yourself a break from and yeah, I mean, stop. Yeah, decide so I'm not feeling bad when I think right. about it. Right, and this this applies to obviously so many types of things. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and there's, you know, the the decision point is interesting because that we feel like we're making a decision when we choose to do something, but you're also making a decision when you choose not to do something. Or or when you just don't do something, whether or not you've, right. you've chosen not to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, inaction is can be a decision, or, or right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think people think that, that, that they're making a decision or making a choice only when they decide to take action, but not deciding is also a choice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, if you get an invitation in the mail and you don't decide what to RSVP 
and you can't decide whether or not to go, you're not going, presumably, unless you're rude. I right. Guess. Yeah. Unless you show up without <laughs> RSVP. Um, but, uh, right. And that is the choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, and the, it takes a lot of energy to sort of maintain all of these things that we're not making decisions on. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, one thing I like to talk about is how maybes are no's until they're yeses. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. So if if something is a maybe, just make it a no, and then if it if and notice how you feel when you're like, okay, it's a no for now. And if you feel a sense of relief, then it's a no. Right. <laughs> And if you still feel ambivalent about it, it's a no for now. And then give yourself a time when you're going to reconsider it. Mm-hmm. But like, but create space where you're. It's not rolling around in the back of your head. Right, because that can just crowd your head. I mean, my brain can't handle all those loose ends. Right. Yeah, I think that. Right. That when you can. When you can just say yes or no when you, ideally if you can make a decision and not be ambivalent that's terrific but but yeah I, a maybe is a no wait until it's a yes is that what you said yep. maybes are no's yep. until they're yeses yeah that's, right. yes that's excellent correct yes. <laughs> I like it I like it <laughs> maybe well and that all that yeah, that goes along with the whole idea of one thing I noticed um, for myself, and I've seen this in clients too, if I'm like giving myself this whole litany of reasons of why I should be doing something or why I should go to something or whatever, then I realize I don't like there's ambivalence, but because I think I should do something, but I don't really want to. Mm-hmm. And so, like, whenever I find myself trying to talk myself into doing something, that's a, another good clue to stop, figure out what the ambivalence is, so I can make um, a decision from sort of, I don't know, I think of it as like a cleaner place. Mm-hmm. Like, just to sort of bring up all the information that's swirling around there, so that I can... Um, make it from a conscious place, I guess, is what I'm saying. Right. That's what I was thinking. A conscious decision based on not a bunch of shoulds, but on your true feelings and desires about that particular yeah. thing, perhaps. Yeah, because, you know, there, uh, there's research that shows that um, when ambivalence is high, making a choice is unpleasant because of the uncertainty of the consequences of the choice. Mm-hmm. And so when you take action, you are, in fact, making a choice. And that's why ambivalence breeds procrastination. Because the fear of the consequences of the choices. Because it's just, it's all this it's uncertainty. All. Right. Right. That makes sense that if, if one can get past and get clarity so they don't feel ambivalent, they're going to stop procrastinating on that on, on that thing that they're more ambivalent about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you when you 
start thinking about it, it seems obvious. Like, well, of course I would struggle to take action on something that I have conflicting emotions about. Mm -hmm. But when you're in the middle of it, it just seems like you should be able to do it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, we should be kind to ourselves, right? Yeah. And, And it boils down to knowing what's important to us. Absolutely. Yep. We come full circle. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. It makes a huge difference to know why something is important. And that can help you surface the ambivalence as well. Mm-hmm. I just use surface as a verb. I know. I was trying to decide whether to comment on that. <laughs> I didn't want to be obnoxious, so I chose to remain silent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you didn't have to. I did it for yeah, myself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thought maybe that was some sort of coach speak I'd never heard. <laughs> no, after I said it, I was like, oh no, I verbed I a verbed noun. A noun. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> it's so common. Verbing nouns or surface. Yeah. Verbing nouns. Yeah. Oh, it sure is. I won't even use impact as a verb. I'm old school. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that you don't use it yeah. as a verb. Well, thank you. It's, yeah. It's probably in the dictionary now. Just like literally. Is that right? Literally is in the dictionary, yeah. meaning figurative? I mean, meaning... Figuratively. Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, in yeah. another one, nonplussed. I know. I mean, I, I, I was reading some, like, legit thing, and, and I thought, and they used it wrong. And I thought, wait a minute. So I, I looked it up. I thought, was I wrong? And I read my de- the definition of nonplussed, which is um, agitated or uh, upset about something. And right. then its second definition was not agitated or upset about something. <laughs> like, what? They called it modern usage. <laughs> like, oh, this is sad. <laughs> I know. It's like, just because people don't know the definition doesn't mean that you make the definition the one they think it is. <laughs> right. But oh, apparently are, that's what we do now. We are old curmudgeons, Shannon. <laughs> I know we are. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm a baby boomer. You're not even a baby I'm boomer. I'm nonplussed about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're a boomer. I'm a Karen. You're, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I like the uh, meme on that that said, uh, if they really knew us, they'd know that it wasn't Karen, that it was Heather. Uh, oh, I don't even get that. Because there's way more Heathers than there were Karens in Gen X. Oh. I see. I guess I didn't even realize Karen. I had sort of caught wind of the whole Karen thing, but I don't think I realized it was about Gen X specifically. Oh, yeah. That's, Karen yeah. is about Gen X. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I just looked up nonplussed just to make sure. And because <laughs> I, I, I do, I do get it mixed up. But no, I was right. The first definition surprised and confused so much that they are unsure how to react. Second definition, yeah. not disconcerted, unperturbed. 
it should just be like first definition, you know, the um, what you said, you know, the def- the actual definition. Second definition, the antonym, <laughs> right. its own antonym. It, it's North American informal. <laughs> <laughs> North American informal. Oh my All goodness. Right. Um, I feel like we've gone off the rails okay. here. Too many asides. <laughs> we have a little bit. <laughs> yeah too too many unrelated asides, asides. for one episode exactly <laughs> oh all right well so anything else to say about ambivalence no but i think except yes that i think that <laughs> well um are you ambivalent about it i i not i just realized i was going to say no and then i was going to say something so i'll say yes i think i will find this useful when i have my annual retreat where i'm thinking about stuff later this month so yeah yeah and i think um sort of identifying ambivalence as a thing makes it easier to um do something about it Mm -hmm. and it also kind of takes away its power yeah exactly when you surface it (laughs) (laughs) after you surfaced it it becomes powerless (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness all right we want to hear from you are you nonplussed about ambivalence um no (laughs) okay it depends which definition you mean I know that was the joke. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, just, you know, let us know what you're thinking. You can um, send us an email at hello at getting to good enough.com. You can um, leave a note. Uh, comment in the show notes at gettingtogoodenough.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Getting to Good Enough, and we're on Twitter at GTG Enough. Um, and also, we love messages on our hotline at 413-424-GTGE. That's 4843. For now, this is Shannon Wilkinson in Portland, Oregon. And Janine Adams in St. Louis, Missouri. And we hope that good enough is getting easier for you. I'm literally nonplussed.